Do extend a word of welcome to each one this morning, to our morning worship, uh, trusting that you'll feel welcome here with us and that the Lord will bless as we gather together uh, to worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to commence our praise of the Lord by turning to the Psalm 117a, the Psalm 117a. At the back of the hymnal, there is that a section of Psalms, and it's Psalm 117a, from all that dwell below the skies, O let Jehovah's praise arise, and let his glorious name be sung in every land by every tongue. The Psalm 117a, and we'll stand as we sing, please. seated. And we're turning in the Word of God this morning to the Psalm 124, uh, the Psalm 124, a song of degrees of David. Psalm 124, and we'll commence at verse 1. The Word of God says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Then the pride waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. 
Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us rejoice that our help is indeed in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And let us pray for the work of God here. And let us pray for the gospel of Christ as we preach it and as it is spread in our land. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee today that as we come together, we can rejoice in thee. We can rejoice in thy goodness. And Father, we can rejoice and remind ourselves, as the psalmist says here, that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Father, we rejoice that we can lift up our eyes to the heavens and see the glory of our God. And we can look here at this earth and see the work of thy hands and what thou hast done and what thou hast accomplished. And Father, we rejoice in thy power and thy sustaining power, thy creating power. And that encourages us because thou art the God who is our help. And we thank thee that thou hast the power to help us. And we beseech thee, O God, that thou would help us in our times of need. And we pray that as thy people we would know the help of God in every aspect of our lives. And we do remember, Father, this congregation and those who need thy help and thy touch. We, uh, Father, do uh, remember Debbie, remember the Hanson family, uh, Father, remember uh, Clayton Snow and others as well who need thy help and thy touch. And Father, draw near to them, we pray. May they rejoice in what we've read today uh, that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Father, we thank Thee uh, that we can look back upon our history as the church of Christ and uh, that indeed is our cry of thankfulness uh, that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we thank Thee that even today uh, we can look back to the Protestant Reformation reminding ourselves of what took place uh, 500 years ago and how the a spark of the Reformation, how the light of the gospel of Christ is spread across Europe, how the uh, darkness was there, uh, the darkness of Catholicism, the darkness of false doctrine and false hope, uh, but yet the light of the glorious gospel shone through to the glory of thy name and to the extension of thy kingdom. We thank thee, Father, uh, that we can look back over history to that event and we can look back to those days in which the preaching of the cross, uh, which those great doctrines, uh, Scripture alone and justification uh, by faith alone, uh, were at the forefront of the battle. And we thank Thee that uh, we can look back to those days when uh, Thy truth was proclaimed in power and Thou didst move. And Father, today we realize we live also in dark days. And we realize, Father, we live where men and women and where nations have no thought of Thee. 
And we pray that thou would enable us to shine forth the gospel light in a world that is shrouded in darkness. We thank thee for the light of the gospel. We thank thee for the Savior who said that I am the light of the world. And we rejoice in that light, the light of the gospel that has affected many here. We pray for those, Father, who know not the Savior, who know not Christ, who know not uh, the great joy and peace and the forgiveness of sins that salvation brings. And Father, we pray that they would see that light of the gospel and they would experience it in their own lives and in their own hearts to the glory of thy name. Father, we pray uh, for the area in which we are. We pray, Father, for the gospel witness that goes forth over the radio and through this means and uh, the gospel witness uh, through uh, this congregation. Father, bless it, we pray. And may souls see their great need of a Savior. Move, uh, Father, we pray. Uh, we beseech thee that uh, precious souls would realize their sin and realize that there is only one way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray that thou would bless our services today. We thank thee for the Sunday school. And we thank thee for the children, the teachers. Thank thee for the families of this congregation. Meet each of their needs, we pray. And we look to thee to bless us as we gather in worship, to meet with us, to forgive us for our sins, and to encourage our hearts, to challenge our souls. And may this be a blessed time spent here around thy truth. Father, we do remember uh, Calvin Colliger today as well. Uh, we think, uh, Father, of... Uh, his health needs. Remember that family circle also. Uh, give grace, give help, give strength, we pray. Uh, we do remember uh, Father Pe Pastor Van Leer as well here in Langley. And as he awaits results himself, we pray that uh, he would know uh, thy peace and thy help as well, both him and family and congregation. And Father, we look to thee for that help afresh. We rejoice that our help is in thy name. Help us today to worship thee. Help us today to serve thee. Help us today to flee sin and to live for thee and glorify thy name. And we cry to thee for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in the hymnals, the hymn number 588. 588. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper here amid the flood of mortal ills. Prevailing. 588, a hymn that was penned by Martin Luther, based on Psalm 46. And let us stand as we worship, please. 588.
may be seated. And we're going to turn in the Word of God this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read the first 11 verses together. 1 Corinthians 15, commencing to read at verse 1, and this is the infallible and inerrant Word of God that we have before us, and so let us give due diligence and attention to what the Apostle and what the Spirit of God is telling us here. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep it in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered you unto you first of all that which I also received, how the Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not made to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed." Amen, and may the Lord bless in the reading of his precious and infallible truth this morning for his name's sake. This point in our service, can we extend a word of welcome to each one gathered in. Uh, to those who are visiting, we welcome you too, and trust you'll feel at home as you meet with us uh, today. Do remember the announcements uh, for this week, and they are in the bulletin as well. Uh, tonight we have our prayer meeting at 5.30 downstairs and then the evening worship service at 6 p.m. And then after that service we are meeting for food and fellowship uh, downstairs. And so uh, do come along, uh, do come and have fellowship with us, do bring something to share and uh, come and enjoy that time. On Tuesday, uh, the 31st of October at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, uh, we have the Toronto Free Presbyterian Church Online Women's Bible Study uh, with Mrs. Jill Saunders. Uh, that starts on Tuesday. And you can email uh, the address on the bulletin to Toronto for the contact details, the login details for Zoom, or speak to our sister Susan, who can pass those details uh, to you as well. On Wednesday, we have our Bible study and prayer meeting. And uh, we have that on Zoom as well. So if you want the link for that, you don't get it when it goes out on Wednesday mornings, uh, do speak to me uh, for that. Then on Saturday, 
Uh, we have decided, uh, as uh, the elders of the congregation, uh, to start a women's fellowship uh, breakfast. And that uh, first breakfast is at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. And so we do encourage the ladies of the congregation to come along and to support that. Uh, there'll be a, a short a time of uh, devotion. And for the first one, uh, I'm going to come along and bring a very short devotion for five minutes. And then I'm going to leave and let the ladies to it. I could stay and get some food, but I won't. Uh, I'll leave and the ladies can uh, have uh, some fellowship uh, together. And so we encourage you to come. And we trust that uh, this breakfast, this fellowship, would be a blessing to you. Uh, I enjoy the men's fellowship breakfasts. And I enjoy the fellowship with the men, the devotion time that we have. Uh, it's a blessed time, and we trust that the same would be true uh, for the ladies in our congregation. And so do uh, bring some food uh, to shore. Uh, there's various things downstairs you can make to bring food. You can bring your own. And if you need any further details regarding food, etc., then uh, do speak uh, to my wife. And then at 7.30 p.m., uh, we have our men's prayer meeting uh, downstairs as well and on Zoom. And so men folk do uh, remember that as well. Uh, the latest edition of our Denominations magazine, The Current, is available on the table in the hall. Uh, so if uh, you normally get a copy of that, take one. If you don't get a copy of that, then uh, there's plenty for you to take. Uh, take some for friends, family, and read the articles that are there. Uh, there's an article regarding ourselves and uh, the recent ordination service here in Cloverdale. And so uh, there's a picture of some of our elders, uh, some of our deacons, and the congregation or the, the church uh, in that magazine as well. So do uh, remember that. And then for our elders and deacons, the next meeting will be on Monday, the 6th of November. Uh, so please uh, remember that. Uh, these are all the announcements and the subject to the will of God. And we're going to turn on our hymnals to hymn 221. The hymn, the hymn 221. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. 221 will remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received, please.
Father, we come before thee this morning. We thank thee. We give thee praise for the opportunity to come together in thy house. We ask that you would take our tithes and offerings, that you would use them, that the gospel message may go forth in this house, in this land, and also in this community. Use the radio, the webcast. We pray that thy word would go forth and touch hearts. We ask that now you would help us as we open the word. We ask that you be with our pastor, give him the words to preach, and be with every soul here. Speak to our hearts. Help us to rejoice in the knowledge of our Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. <coughs> Let us stand to sing. Um, we'll sing verse 5 and verse 6 to close. Uh, verse 5 and verse 6 of 221. be seated. And we're turning again in the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're not preaching specifically upon this passage this morning. It is, uh, I suppose, a bit of a springboard for what we want to say in light of the Protestant Reformation. And what we have here is a confession of faith, a confession of what the church believes. And I want to read again verse number three to you. And it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How the Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord as we come and consider His truth. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word today. We thank Thee that Thy Word is true, 
that it is infallible, that it is inerrant. And we pray, O God, that we would know the outpouring of thy Spirit here upon us, that as we consider thy truth in this subject, we would know thy presence, we would know thy power, and we would know, Father, that speaking voice of thy Spirit to our hearts. Encourage us and challenge us, rebuke us, and Father, we pray there would be a word in season to those outside of Christ, that by thy grace and through the power of thy Spirit they would flee from sin and rest in the Savior. Father, give help we need, we pray. Do our souls good. We ask and beseech thee for Christ's sake. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. One accusation that is often aimed at the Reformed Church is that they found their faith on documents that have been made by men. That cry goes out by many Christians who are not part of the Reformed Church. Uh, they cry out that we have no creed but the Bible. The Bible is our creed. and The Bible is our confession, our standard of faith is the Word of God, they say, not a confession written by men 500 or 400 years ago. And there are claims that such confessions are unbiblical, or that they may be Roman Catholic traditions, or that they stifle the Spirit of God working within the lives of His redeemed people. And they say that confessions and creeds can take away our foundation of Scripture and replace it with the interpretation of man. However, as a denomination, we have as our standard and our final rule of faith and practice the Word of God. And the Word of God is the standard that we turn to. It is the standard that we base and form our doctrine upon. But however, we also hold to the Westminster Standards. And these standards were penned in the 1640s by a unique group of many godly Puritan divines who comprised the Westminster Assembly and were charged by the English Parliament in the midst of the English Civil War to compose a confession of faith and belief for the Church of Christ. And these standards comprised the confession of faith, the larger and shorter catechisms, and are referred to as our subordinate standards. Our subordinate standards. And that is an important term. It means lower in rank or position. And when applied to these standards, it means that they are lower in rank or position to the Word of God, which is, of course, our supreme and final rule of faith and practice. And these confessional documents relate to us in a systematic way the doctrines that we believe the Word of God teaches. And the Reformed faith has a rich history of creeds, Going back to the creeds of the early church, we have the Apostles' Creed, we have the Nicene Creed, A.D. 325, uh, dealing with heresy at that time, and, of course, the Protestant Reformation. And when Martin Luther nailed his theses to the church door at Wittenberg in October 1517, and this Lord's Day is commonly known as Reformation Sunday, whenever Reformed churches remember and perhaps reflect upon what happened in those days. 
The truths of the Reformation began to spread quickly across Europe, sparking a fire that has never went out. And in those early days, there was a great emphasis placed upon setting forth the doctrines that the Reformed Church believed and practiced in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. And therefore, how did they do that? Well, by preaching, but also by creeds and confessions, writing documents that set out this is what we believe Scripture teaches. We have the Lutheran Confessions, 1520, the Augsburg Confession, 1580, the Book of Concord. And we have the Presbyterian Confession, 1560, the Scots Confession, moving outside the Reformation period. The 1640s, there's the Westminster Confession of Faith. And there are various other Reformed uh, Confessions, the First and Second Helvetic Confessions, 1536, 1586. The Belgic Confession, 1561. The Heidelberg Catechism, 1563. And these confessions were penned to set forth and explain the truths that Protestants and Reformed churches believed in opposition to the heresy of the day. And creeds and confessions, if founded solidly upon the Word of God, comprise a clear standard of truth inasmuch as that creed or confession is agreeable to the Word of God. It is not a man-made statement of truth, but a statement of truth that is founded and agreeable to the Word of God. And in the Reformed Church, creeds and confessions have played a large role in defining what the church believes and practices. There are many independent churches today that if you go to their website, there is no statement of faith. There is very little or nothing regarding what they believe. There are many who take the position that doctrine divides and therefore they don't have a clear statement of doctrine because it is an issue that people divide themselves over. But we need to remind ourselves, and this is vitally important, that it is not true biblical doctrine that divides. It is the error. It is the heresy. It is the rejection of that doctrine that divides. Uh, take, for example, that great Reformation doctrine, justification by faith alone. That's a doctrine we believe. It's what we believe we should be preaching. And if I decided I don't believe this doctrine anymore, and I stood up tonight and preached justification through works, you can be saved by coming to church, not through faith in Christ. You can be saved through putting your tithe and offering in the plate or bag when it passes you by. That's works. You can be saved through your good works and not through Christ alone. Something is wrong. And I'm going to be in trouble because of what I would be saying. And what would happen? Well, I would be spoken to by the elders. The presbytery would get involved to speak to me regarding what I've preached. They would show me the correct course. They would ask, why has this happened? And if I said, no, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I keep on that path regarding good works, justifying us and saving us, what will happen? I'm gone. I'll not preach here again. I'll leave. And who has caused that division? Has the church caused that division through holding justification by faith alone? Or if I caused that division because I moved outside the Word of God. And I caused that division because I moved outside the Word of God. Doctrine divides, yes, but in the sense 
the true biblical doctrine forms what we believe. And those who move outside that are those that cause the division within the church of Christ. And so this morning, I want us to consider this important subject, the importance of creeds and confessions. In light of the Protestant Reformation, we're dealing with a different theme than we normally would on a Sunday morning, but the importance of creeds and confessions. It's a vital question today. What do we believe? Should that be written out? Should that be a clear statement? Or do we just say we believe the Bible and we hold to the Bible? And leave it up to man interpreting Scripture as he goes along. So I want you to see, first of all, the creeds and confessions have a biblical foundation. Creeds and confessions have a biblical foundation. No creed but the Bible is cried out by many. But yet Scripture teaches us that expressions of our faith are important and they are biblical. Because Scripture contains expressions of faith. If we come back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? He's setting forth the gospel. He's making a confession of his faith and a confession of the faith of the church of Christ. And he says, verse 2, that he preached to them. And they're to remember what he preached to them. Verse 3, he says what that was. How the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he continues down that chapter with this statement of faith. This is what the church believes. This is what a Christian believes, Paul is saying. This is what I believe. This is what I preach. This is the message that this church in Corinth was founded upon, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It's a very simple summary of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work of redemption. And if you turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the book of Deuteronomy, the chapter 6, we find here another statement of faith, another confession of faith. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, here's the statement, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. That is what they were to believe. They had a God, they had a Lord, and he was one God. God. And then there's something here, an application. That was their belief. That was their confession, but how were they to act upon that? And we find that in verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. They were to believe and confess this truth, and they were to act upon it by loving the Lord. And you see here, there's a very important principle. A fundamental principle in Christianity, and as a sidestep from our point on creeds and confessions having a biblical foundation, let us consider this principle. The truth of God requires a response from us. The truth of God requires a response from us. Why is that? Because the truth is God's revealed and divinely inspired word to us. 
because it is true, because of its spiritual and eternal emphasis, we must respond to it. We cannot ignore it. We're coming face to face with the truth of the living God, the truth of our sin, the truth of a Savior, and we are to respond to it. That truth demands a reaction. It demands a reaction. And to those who are unconverted, coming face to face with the gospel of Christ and your need of a Savior and your need of salvation requires a response from you. Will you accept Christ, the glorious Savior, the one who died for sin, or will you reject him? There must be a response. And believer, as part of sanctification, God's truth requires a response from you. Will you accept it as true? Will we, by God's grace, change our lives and our habits and mortify the deeds of the flesh in order to be closer to God? Israel here were faced with the truth of God and who God is, and that truth demanded a response. And the same is true today. When we consider the truth of God, even summarized for us in a confession of faith, it is the truth of God, the truth of what God has done for us, Oh, that we would respond toward that in love. And therefore, if a creed or confession is truly based on the word of God and teaches what is biblical doctrine, what should it do for us? It should affect our walk with God. It should bring us into the knowledge of the truth of God. It should bring us closer to God by teaching us more about him. Take the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The very first question teaches us about our duty to glorify God. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that is a life-changing truth. When we read that catechism for the very first time, the very first question, we're met face to face with the truth that we are to glorify God in all that we do. We can think back to the days of the Reformation. The truths contained in these early confessions were life-changing. They stood in stark contrast to the unbiblical traditions and teachings of Catholicism. And those truths, Scripture alone and justification by faith alone in Christ alone, changed the continent for the gospel of God. And so coming back to Deuteronomy, it is important and vital that we as the Lord's people confess our faith. That might be written down. That might be spoken. It may be a simple confession of what we believe to a co-worker. That's a confession of our faith. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And the verse 16. Peter has been asked the question, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a statement, a confession about Christ. Peter here is confessing who he believes the Savior is. And coming back to 1 Corinthians 15, here we have an example this morning. It's more of an example than a text today but it deals with the physical facts of Christ's death it enters into a theological discussion of the consequences of Christ's death regarding our resurrection 
And what a wonderful confession of faith this is. It's Christ-centered. It's Christ-honoring. It's Christ-exalting. It's God-glorifying. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And what are we to do with that? Paul teaches us. And he speaks about resurrection. Because Christ died and rose again, we will be resurrected. And he brings that great application home at the end of this chapter. O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this confession of faith was pointing to our resurrection. Based on the resurrection of Christ. The fact that because of Christ, we have that great victory. Simple statement of faith that points and honors the Savior. And there are other examples in the Word of God of statements of faith, of confessions of faith. And the basic principle is here that the people of God have a history of confessing their faith. And creeds and confessions are a very simple means, making clear what we believe. And there's a biblical foundation for that. I want you to consider that catechism question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the question goes, well, how is that biblical? Where is that found in the word of God? And if we turn to Psalm 86 in the verse 9. Psalm 86 in the verse 9. We read, There all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. And then 1 Corinthians 10, the verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Paul is saying, everything you do is to be done to God's glory. If you're to go and to preach the gospel of Christ, it's to the glory of God. If you're to go and witness to someone who needs the Savior, it's to the glory of God. If you come across an accident on the road on the way home and you run and help and give first aid, it's to the glory of God. As you go to your work in the morning and you leave her there, it's to the glory of God as a testimony to Christ. Everything we do is to be done to the glory of God. And that's why then the divine said, man's chief end is to glorify God. And they use those two verses and other verses to prove that point. It's a statement that has a biblical foundation. Then it says, and to enjoy him forever. And if we move back then to the book of Psalms and to the verse or the chapter 16, we'll see then that this thought of glorifying God is scriptural. The verse in number 5 to the verse 11 of Psalm 16 form part of the proof text for this catechism, but we'll We'll read verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. And then verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And there are other verses also. And so those divines asking what should be the first question 
What is the most vital question to commence our catechism? Why are we here? What is the point of us being here? What is our purpose in life? And so it's to glorify God. We see that in these verses. It's to enjoy God and to enjoy his blessings and to enjoy him forever, the blessings at his right hand. And therefore, will man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, something that comes out of Scripture. We're not going to do that for all 107 catechisms, uh, but you get the idea of where they come from. It is based on doctrine. It is based on the Word of God. And the Word of God is our final rule of faith and practice, but the confession, the creed, as we see secondly, it systematizes biblical truth. It systematizes biblical truth. And that's an important thought. What does that word mean? Systematize. Well, it simply means to set forth, to organize something. And so the catechism, the confession, sets forth the teaching of the Word of God on particular subjects. Take, for example, sin. Where do we go in Scripture to find out the doctrines about sin? Well, there's Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned against God. Sin came into the world. Exodus 20 outlines to us what God's standard is and what man's sin is in regard to that standard. Romans chapter 3 reminds us of what sin is. Romans chapter 5 reminds us that sin entered into this world and death entered into this world through Adam. Romans 6 reminds us for the wages of sin is death. And so throughout the word of God, there is this thread running through of how sin is defined and how sin is explained. And a confession or creed then takes that topic of sin and then it manifests the teaching of scripture in a summary or a systematically organized format regarding that particular truth. And so the Shorter Catechism asks the question, did our first parents continue in this state wherein they were created? It says, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. And so they then ask, well, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. If we do not conform entirely to God's standard, to God's law, it is sin. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. And if you drop your wallet on the way out of church, and I see it, and I take it, and I put it into my pocket, and I keep it, that's a sin against God. Thou shalt not steal. I know it's yours. Your name's even in it. But I keep it for myself. Thou shalt not steal. And when we look at the commandments of God, we've broken them constantly. We've sinned against him constantly. And so the catechism takes these thoughts, this thread of sin in Scripture, and it brings it out and sets it there clearly and plainly for us to see. They ask the question, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? What did they do? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Well, it speaks about the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, that excludes Christ. 
ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So they take this doctrine of sin and using scriptural proofs, they set out what we believe. What we believe sin is and the effects of sin. And so we sinned in Adam and fell with him in his first transgression. And they go on and say many things about the doctrine of sin. And there's this systematized dealing with that subject. It helps us to understand the teaching of the word of God on that particular subject. The same way if you wanted to find out about Andrew in the scriptures. Who was Andrew in the Bible? What did Andrew do in the Bible? What did Andrew say in the Bible? Well, you would go to your concordance or you go to your online tool and you would type in Andrew and you would search the New Testament for the name Andrew and up would come all those instances, all those verses where the name Andrew was used. And therefore you find out what he said, what he did, his relationship to the Savior, all set out in front of you. And the confession does that with the likes of sin. It takes what the Word of God teaches and says in those verses and summarizes it and sets it out. This is what this doctrine is. This is what we believe. This is what the church believes. This is what Scripture teaches. We can think of the Westminster Confession of Faith on Scripture, the very first chapter. And what does it teach? Well, moving through that chapter on Scripture, it teaches about the need of this special revelation. God revealing himself in Scripture. Then secondly, tells us what the books of Scripture are in comparison to or contrast to those books that are not part of the Word of God. It sets out the 66 books that we accept and says that they're inspired. It then speaks about the Apocrypha, those uninspired books that form many versions of Scripture today. And it says they're not part of the canon of Scripture. It then deals with the authority of the Word of God and how the Word of God works within us and how we're to approach the Word of God and how it is the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, etc. It sets out what Scripture teaches about itself systematically, and with those references back to what the Word of God says. And that's a benefit for us when we consider the teaching of Scripture or what a particular doctrine may say. But thirdly here, creeds and confessions warmly express our faith. Creeds and confessions warmly express our faith. What do we have here in 1 Corinthians 15? The apostle is expressing his faith he's speaking warmly he's speaking in love he's speaking with passion about how Christ died for him and the confessions and creeds that we have and catechisms are not supposed to be statements that are dry statements that are dead statements that mean nothing to us they're supposed to be things that thrill our hearts thrill our hearts We have something as the church of Christ to confess, do we not? Do we have truths that we need to express? Do we have truths we need to declare to the world? Will our creeds and confessions based on Scripture do that? And these truths thrill hearts. These truths change lives. We can think of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the very first question, what is your only comfort 
in life and death. And it makes it personal. Personal. It says that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is that heartwarming? Does that thrill your heart? Because that's an expression, dear believer, of your faith, of what Christ has done for you. It may not be a catechism that our church holds to, but our church doesn't disagree with that catechism. It's true. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. It should thrill our hearts. The truth of God, whether it's the reading of Scripture, or the listing of sermons, or the reading of what the church believes in creeds and confessions based on Scripture should thrill the hearts of the people of God. And this catechism is tender-hearted, it's personal, and these truths should lead us closer to the Lord. There's a commentator who wrote many years ago about the Heidelberg Catechism, and he spoke about it being an experimental catechism, now, don't think of a scientist in a white coat in a test tube making tests regarding a catechism. That's not what that means. It means it's something that's experienced. It's an experience of the heart. It's experiential. It's a catechism of the heart. That's what that term experimental means. It was founded upon the experiences that a Christian passes through in life. It is not cold theology, but it's of warm living faith, a catechism of the heart. And do you believe in the truths that we preach, the truths we read in God's word, the truths that then find themselves expressed in creeds and confessions that conform to God's word. All these truths are part of Christ's gospel and Christ's word, and they should thrill our hearts. The word of God, if we love the Lord, if we desire to walk in his ways and follow him, his truth should thrill our hearts should thrill our hearts. And this is what the truth should mean to the heart of the believer. And so we should look not only at our creeds and catechisms warm-heartedly and with a desire to learn what they teach and for them to bring us closer to Christ, but ultimately because they're founded on Scripture, we should approach Scripture with tender-heartedness and love. And when we come and read the Word of God, or we come to the worship of God, and maybe the pastor decides that day it is good for us and good in light of the message to read 45, 50 verses of Scripture. And we have our reading before the prayer, and we have 45, 50 verses of Scripture. It's a little longer. That should thrill our hearts because of the truths. We shouldn't think, wow, it's a long reading today, and we have to sit through this. It should thrill our hearts. Because it is the truth of God. And so the truth of God, whatever way it's expressed, should mean something to you, dear believer. It meant something to the apostle here. He believed this. He preached it. 
He desired these believers to understand afresh what the gospel was all about in light of the resurrection and what Christ did for them and saved them and gave them this great victory. And then fourthly, I want you to see creeds and confessions protect against error. They protect against error. I think this is a vital point, a valid point. We could spend much time on it. We won't. But what was the purpose of creeds and confessions at the time of the Reformation? To set out what the Reformed Church believed in opposition to the error of the day. In other words, we believe this. The Roman Catholic Church believes these things, but we believe Scripture teaches this doctrine. And here's the verses. And here's the biblical proof. And this is what we preach. And unashamedly, they promoted that. They believed in the authority of the Scriptures. And when we think of the Scots Confession, the Scots Confession, and John Knox was instrumental in this, the Scottish Reformer, they said, as we believe and confess the Scriptures of God, sufficient to instruct and make perfect the man of God, so we do affirm and avow their authority to be from God and not to depend on men or angels. We affirm, therefore, that those who say the Scriptures have no other authority save which they have received from the Kirk, which is the church, the Scottish word for church, are blasphemous against God and injurious to the true Kirk, the church, which always hears and obeys the voice of her own spouse and pastor, the Savior, but takes not upon her to be mistress over the same. So in other words, what was happening was that the Roman Catholic Church, they were in control of Scripture. They controlled how Scripture was taught and what was believed. But what the Scots Confession did was it said out that the Scripture determines what the church believes. The Scripture gives authority to the church. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. And so... In that particular aspect, that confession, what did it do? It dealt with an error that was found within Europe and within Scotland in that day and in that generation. And what does our confession of faith do as a church? It sets out what we believe. It combats error. As a minister of the gospel and our elders as well, we have signed that confession. We have said, we believe it expresses what the Bible teaches. We hold to it. We preach those truths. There are truths that we preach. And you can go into the confession or the catechisms and you'll find that the confession teaches those truths. We don't preach them because they're in the confession. We preach them because they're in the Bible. And the confession then summarizes those truths. The Bible is the foundation. But this systematic gathering together of biblical truth, it protects the church from error, or it should. Many have took their confessions today, and they've ripped them up. They've ripped them up. I remember one minister preaching one time, and he had his notes and paper. I can't do that with an iPad. He had his notes in his hand. He's preaching away and preaching on these truths and the importance of creeds and confessions. And he took his notes and spoke about these churches that had taken their confessions. And he ripped his notes in half. And he realized afterwards he was so intense that he didn't realize it was his notes in his hand that he was actually ripping up. But we see that today. 
churches that say, we believe this, we believe A, B, C, D, but they practice something else. The confession of faith is subject to the word of God, but it is that framework within which we operate subject to God's word that teaches us these great truths in a systematic fashion. And if we move outside of a biblical confession, we're moving outside of the biblical word of God also. And these things are to the word of God and the confession are to protect us from error and to protect us from heresy and to protect us from the gospel of Christ being corrupted and twisted. Again, the scripture is our only authority. But the confession, as far as it rests upon the word of God, is helpful in protecting us from error. And we're to do that. We're to contend for the faith. We're to contend for the faith. We're to discern what is being taught, that it is in line with the word of God. We can think of the church in Revelation, the church at Ephesus. And what happened there? They stood firm. They did the right thing. They stood firm to what the church believed. But they lost out with God because the Savior said, you've left your first love. And there is a solemn reminder again for us that we can do the same. We can hold the truth. We have the scriptures and we have our confession and we have our creeds and we have our catechisms. And they're supposed to bring us closer to God. If our hearts are right with him. But in Ephesus that didn't happen. They did all the right things, but their hearts were, had left their first love. And dear believer, let us not be off the mind that we have the truth. We have the scriptures and we have our confessions. And therefore, we're a godly church. No. What about our hearts? What about our hearts? Let us remember that it's not merely about the head knowledge of the word or the head knowledge of theology or a confession. It's about our hearts and our relationship with God. And then finally, creeds and confessions are tools for teaching truth. They're tools for teaching truth. We can see this in many ways. We can think of the catechisms. What do the catechisms do? They teach and instruct. As a young child, I learned the catechism. And it taught and instructed me in what I was to believe as based upon the word of God. And whether we're old or young, we should desire to learn more of the Lord. And catechisms and creeds and confessions can help us by summarizing what the Word of God believes. Let me say this to the younger generation who may be learning the catechisms. As we said, let not it be dry truth. The truths of Scripture are not dry, as we've said. The truths in the catechism should not be dry. Let them thrill your heart. Let them remind you of what Christ has done for you. Let them remind you of salvation. And the learning of these truths, the learning of the knowledge of God, pray the Lord would bring that truth into your heart, that you would believe it, it would enable you to be closer to God. There's much we could say about catechisms being means by which we can be taught, uh, but certainly they are great tools, learning questions, learning answers, pointing us in the right direction regarding what Scripture teaches 
Let us confess our faith. Let us know what we believe. That is the importance of this. Knowing what we believe as the people of God. Not moving left or right in whatever direction. And not fully understanding what we believe about certain things. And when we look at the practices of many Christians today in many churches, we should be asking ourselves, what do we believe about these things? Is it right to do this? Is this practice godly? And there are churches today that do things a little different than us. And their practices are not unbiblical. Those practices are based on Scripture. Those practices are godly and are a blessing. But there are many others and they've set aside the word of God. They've set aside doctrines. They've set aside truth. And they seek entertainment more than the pure worship of God. Let us be discerning. And how can we be discerning? We know the truth of God. We know what scripture teaches. We know what we believe is expressed systematically in confessions and creeds written by godly men. And so let us hold the truth let us believe truth and let us see something then of the importance of creeds and catechisms and confessions within the church of Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word today. We thank thee we can look back to the Reformation and to the blessing that this great work of thine was in shining light in the midst of darkness. And Father, we pray as we reflect upon this great history of creeds and confessions and that we would desire to know thy word, that these would be tools to help us to understand thy truth and to learn more and more of thy ways, to point us in the right direction, not only for salvation, but for sanctification. We think of how many of these old catechisms uh, bring that exposition of what the law of God teaches and what the Ten Commandments teach. No, God, we realize if we were to consider these things, how short we fall or how long we fall, how short we are in comparison to thy standard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Father, we pray that Thou would give us that desire within our hearts to learn more and more of thy word, to put thee first, to glorify thee in all things. Father, part us with thy blessing. By the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.